What's up, everybody? It's the number one contender, Greg, joined by the reigning, defending, undisputed podcast champion of the world. The damaged one is Rob, and you are listening to a Why Not Talk About This Universe production. Hey, this is Brett, and this is Throbbing with Horror, Episode 2, Blood Harvest. I'm joined today with P. Hey, everybody. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? Not too bad. Um, I just got done watching this movie for a second time within 24 hours right before we started recording this. That is a very brave choice. <laughs> But there's a reason you need to do that is because so much of this movie is so forgettable. <laughs> it really is. However, I don't think I could sit through it twice in one day. That takes effort. It was a challenge the second time. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd imagine so, especially because like they were trying to build and uh, yeah, as any listener knows this is the Tiny Tim slasher film. It yes, seemed hail like, Tiny Tim. Yeah, it seemed like they were trying to build Tiny Tim's character as a red herring, so you think he's the killer, but it's so obviously not. <laughs> oh my god! When they, I love when they show just the body of the killer, and he's like obviously like at least fifty pounds lighter than what Tiny Tim is. And not only that, but like. The stocking he's wearing to hide his identity is so see-through that it's like, within the first five seconds, I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's fucking Gary. And also, there's like about six characters in this entire movie. So there's not a whole lot of people to pick from. Is it the sheriff? Is it Tiny Tim who runs around in uh, clown makeup the entire time? Or is it the blonde-haired guy who looks exactly like Ted Bundy? Right? And I mean, you could almost say, well, maybe the boyfriend, but that can't be true because he then gets captured and tortured within the first 20 minutes. I was going to say, yeah, he's killed pretty right, uh, right away where, like, and almost it seems like all the kills with this one is where they get knocked out somehow which i love the trope in these horror movies where like they chloroform somebody and mm -hmm. immediately they get knocked out where that's not how it really works at all <laughs> no it really isn't <laughs> it takes a little bit of time of them breathing it in but like it's like it, the ride gets close to their face they're like oh yeah i'm out you can do anything to me rip my top <laughs> off hang me upside down slit my throat i won't know <laughs> also, can we talk about how uh, this this is one of the things that I actually wrote in my notes that when Gary, um, you know, ends up capturing Scott to the barn, did you notice that when the bat hits Scott, they added a fucking gunshot sound? They they added a gunshot sound for a bat hit. Yes, like I even have it just written in my notes in all capital letters. Gunshot bat. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, just one second. Sorry, that was Liz. Let me know dinner's ready. And what's but, um, for dinner? Uh, we're uh, a beef roast and um, over 
French fries with gravy. So basically, that, we were making poutine. <laughs> that sounds significantly more enjoyable than this film. Oh, it definitely is, because the, the only redeeming quality of this movie, I feel, is Tiny Tim the entire way through. Yeah. Like, it, the very first, it opens with him singing, which Billy is... went up the hill to fetch a pail of water, Carrie fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after... Oh, that is spot on. <laughs> I love that. I, I Bravo, was, man. <laughs> I basically was told by Greg that I have a scarily accurate Tiny Tim impression. That sounds basically exactly like him. So I 100% agree. That is amazing. I thought that mine was okay until I heard that one, <laughs> which is just, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the key reasons why I own several ukuleles. Yeah, that's like, uh, I mean, to go on off, because basically this is just a Tiny Tim movie, so very, I feel like very little of this is going to be talking about the movie itself and more talking about Tiny Tim. Right, and I do have a fun little uh, tidbit I learned while watching the director's commentary of this film. Yeah, what's that? So um, the scriptwriter originally just, uh, in the original draft of the script, Tiny Tim's character was not meant to be a clown. He just added that to kind of make the character, you know, more interesting and more intriguing. Yet the crazy part is then when uh, Tiny Tim flew out for filming and everything, he was not told about these changes to the script, but uh, he then is talking to the uh, director and he's like, oh, hey, I, um, I actually sometimes entertain children on my travels and was thinking maybe we could find a way to use this in the movie and pulls out his very own clown outfit that he just had on him also the outfit he wears in the movie was his own yes that was 100 percent tiny tim's clown outfit oh that's amazing that fits so perfectly because at least during the movie he has a gimmick because if he didn't at least have the gimmick of he's a clown it would be even more insane of just this guy with curly hair running around a bib overall singing in this vibrato <laughs> voice like <laughs> and just why is he just appearing out of nowhere oh yeah just outside windows and he's not the creepy one supposedly no but he's just uh appearing outside of her window while she's taking a shower while he sings and he's in the bushes and he's in the weeds he's peeking out of a like old like falling down rustic barn like in clown <laughs> makeup just smiling creepily <laughs> Like in one of the first scenes, he's shown with a hanging body, yet somehow oh, yeah. somehow he's not the killer, and he's probably the most endearing character in the film. So that's a part that kind of lost me. So if the whole time, was he covering up for his brother? I believe so, uh, since there were, you know, like some lines here and there kind of throw away where he's like mentioning that he everybody sees him as this clown but he's still you know a person yeah so i i feel like he knows a lot more than what's going on and really it's gary who is the insane one with mervo the magnificent just trying to cover for him and he's already half insane anyway, because what his parents died, and it's kind of implied that Gary killed their parents. 
Right. Or at least was a big component in driving them to suicide. Yeah. Um, also, can we just talk about how terrible an actress Jill was? Oh God. Just basically. Yeah. It's I, I had to write her name down because if I didn't, I would not have remembered her name at all. Yeah. She, she doesn't really add anything. She's just the banker's daughter who were like, okay, the, plot kind of is where like the vague plot that there is is that this farm community is getting kind of foreclosed on i guess by the bank and jill is the head banker's daughter who goes to check on them and then goes to their farmhouse to kind of make sure everything's okay because she knows her father's been going through a rough time with all this going on and basically the community's completely turned on them. Like they've spray painted all over their house. They hung this like burnt mannequin in his doorway. Like, and I, one of the things I saw was like, there was scum spray painted on the side of the house. I was like, is yeah. G.P. Allen a part of this town? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like G.P. Uh, Allen's going to be a running theme with this particular podcast. Yeah. Oh, of course, because I love Gigi. <laughs> And he just meshes so well with schlocky horror films. He could easily be in this movie instead of Tiny Tim. Could you imagine that movie where Gigi Allen is the star of Blood Harvest instead of Tiny Tim, where he's just, instead of singing soliloquies or whatever, he's just like throwing shit piles (laughs) or like (laughs) trying to make himself bleed on Jill that would be great and then that would make it especially like it'd make a more convincing red herring i'll tell you that because nobody would be trusting this guy and thinking he was actually the secret good guy all along yeah then at the very end have him be like the guy have him exactly play the character that uh, tiny tim does of just saves her at the end he's the good guy like even throw a parade at the end like shoot another scene where there's a big parade where gg's on the on the parade float okay just the one thing that really annoyed me about this film though is why the fuck did jill shoot merv oh yeah out of nowhere but then i find it funny yeah go ahead like I could understand maybe if this if Gary was kind of painted to be a nice and caring guy and she's just now learning about his creepy tendencies but she woke up to him literally naked on top of her going I love you I'll always love you it's all going to be okay which was the most unsettling scene Oh, it's horrible. Right after she gets yeah, chloroformed and he immediately just rips her shirt off. But no, he's a nice guy. Don't no, it's a it's Tiny Tim's the one that's, you know, Marvelous Mervo. He's the killer, not the guy that's Right. And even when she wakes up with him literally on top of her, she's surprisingly calm about almost being raped, where she's just like I know you love me, but I I have Scott now. It 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 just won't work. I I still love you like a sibling. You're still the third most important person in my life. Why are you saying that to your would be rapist right now? Oh, and that's another thing where that's almost like the sibling thing is like an ongoing like theme throughout the movie. Where like later on, like oh, it might have been earlier in the movie. Uh, 
she's like i'll give you a brotherly kiss if you uh do this and he like got her like something out of the fridge i forget exactly what it was but then she yeah. like kisses him on the cheek and it's just like yeah it's this weird ongoing theme of like brother sister stuff <laughs> she was also really kind of emotionally manipulative to gary i noticed like the one scene where like you can tell he's really beaten up by the fact that she's with scott and everything and she just goes to him you know if i hadn't moved away it could easily have been us oh yeah just completely like leading him on the entire time <laughs> and that came out of fucking nowhere to yeah I also love the whole like through line of this movie where it's the bumbling cop where every time the cop gets called out to the house, like at first it's for the vandalism where like all the stuff spray painted on the house and whatnot. And he comes back out and it's all gone. And he's like, well, darn, I missed my softball game for this. And like <laughs> later on, like he was like getting ready to play poker and she called him and he had to go over, but he's complaining the entire time he has to go do his job. Like he's oh I'm missing my poker game for this. Like I love those second like B storylines like that with those kind of characters. <laughs> this town has maybe ten people in it tops. You you can take the time to like check. That yeah, you're maybe, fine. <laughs> that maybe this lady who is calling saying there's a creepy guy outside of her house in the middle of the night. Maybe you can possibly get off your ass and check and there was nobody else in the station like he he was messing with these cards completely by himself yet talking about this poker game like who are you playing poker with sir oh yeah like he's sitting there like what well, i figured like he almost just wants to pretend that he has friends and he <laughs> pretends that like he just has hats set up on broomsticks around like the sheriff's office it's like Deputy Dewey or whatnot from Scream. It's like over in the corner. and <laughs> I feel like this entire movie would have been better if the cop was just literally Barney Fife. Oh, that would have been so great. Don Knotts in this movie. Yeah. Especially Don Knotts at the age he would have been in 1987. Right alongside old ass Tiny Tim. Oh, that would have been great. I I would have knocked this film up several points just for that oh god yeah like i rated like i'm uh gave this movie like three stars out of five the only reason it got that much is because of tiny tim other than that it's such a for completely forgettable plot like the movie's called blood harvest there's barely any blood he collects blood in this bucket to basically play a prank on jill that's out of home alone where he just ties the a string to the bucket inside the fridge so then he <laughs> opens it she gets like a cup of blood on her like he's killed multiple people at this time i think like six people die in this movie and he gets like barely enough to like ruin her dress and somehow this makes her catatonic and allow him to come over completely strip her down and give her a bath oh yeah of course I mean, what her. else would happen I mean, you're being ridiculous, P. That's how 80s horror movies go. What else do you expect to happen? <laughs> Goddamn, do I hate this movie in some ways. I love Tiny Tim. I hate basically everything else. And I really can't believe this is the only movie Tiny Tim is really in. Right. 
I also noticed that um, this is easily, I can see why, the only movie the actress who played Jill is in. Strangely oh, yeah, enough, I mean... Um, the actor who plays Scott, the boyfriend, actually has a fairly successful career now. What did he go on to do? Oh, geez, what was the show? It's it's a um, it's a police procedural that he's in. Uh, let, me, let me look it up real quick. Oh, is it kind of like one of those NCIS, Law and Order type shows kind of thing? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, let me see. Oh, it's nine one one, which um, just started in twenty eighteen, and apparently, apparently, is a well received show. Oh, and he's like one of the major characters in that. Yeah, he's actually like the lead guy in it. That's actually pretty interesting. I kind of want to check it out now, even though I know what kind of show it's going to be. I just want to the entire time be like, that's the guy from Blood Harvest. <laughs> yeah, like I'm I'm not a fan of police procedurals, but I mean, it apparently did well. Huh. And, yeah. and uh, he was also in Dirty Sexy Money. He was in Six Feet Under. I've heard um, of Six Feet Under. He was the lead on Sports Night, which I never watched. I haven't heard of that. Uh, it was a uh, it was a comedy drama show about a fictional sports news program. Okay, it sounds like something from the nineties. It was late nineties, early two thousands. So you yes. are right on the money. <laughs> yeah, but basically, like, um, also I do kind of enjoy the scene where like okay jill kind of stumbles into the barn i want to guess and there's that like pit where there's just that pig hanging there it kind of gave me motel hell vibes just because i saw the pig head dripping blood so Mm -hmm. that was a pretty cool scene like there's some cool scenes in this movie but overall there's just i mean not much going on like she has a shower scene for what like about 10 minutes (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was like the longest shower scene I've seen in a slasher to date. You just you, you, you can almost see her sitting there like kind of not like half looking to the director and he's just doing that thing of like, no, just keep it going. We got to kill <laughs> right. more time. We got 15 minutes to kill here, babies. Like, we got to do this. <laughs> so another funny thing about this that I learned from the uh, director's commentary is if you notice like the uh, the scene where uh scott and jill are making out like at her parents house which i also have to say is a strangely dimly lit home like it's really weird that they have absolutely no lights on in the day there but i digress um if you notice scott never takes his jeans off okay yeah uh the reason why is because originally like you know nudity was implied for all of these like for all of these scenes like and the actors just all kind of agreed to it but then day of filming uh peter kraus the guy who plays um scott is just like yeah no i'm not doing this i'm i'm not getting naked but it was already written into the movie so they just kind of had to work around that and have him just have these full-on denim jeans while in this intimate scene oh that's one of my favorite horror movie tropes is the sex scenes where they are fully clothed it's like how is this working they gotta get (laughs) such a bad like um zipper rash like i couldn't imagine like jesus 
Uh, like and especially denim jeans too yeah and you're losing i mean you're losing some length there so she's not getting all she should be getting oh no and she's just being uncomfortably rubbed against and her underwear is on still like if you like kind of pay attention to the scene her underwear is still up like these people are so inexperienced are these supposed to be high schoolers that only look like they're 20 or I have no idea. All I know is that only one of them went on to be a successful actor in the entire film. And it wasn't Jill. (laughs) Absolutely was not Jill. Uh, My very first uh, note that I wrote when writing notes for this film was, beginning phone call wooden, Jane very wooden, people all wooden, this film is a fucking forest. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah that's a, i mean wooden is basically perfect like it's basically like cardboard cutouts of people that just have microphones in their mouths like there's no like nuance at, to them at all they're not trying whatsoever like i've seen some really bad movies that you could definitely tell cost nothing but the actors really do care and they really do try and it makes it a great movie like i mean look at evil dead Right. That was made for nothing whatsoever, but the actors really cared and gave it their all, and that's they, what made it into the franchise it is now. You know, the biggest difference is they believed in their characters. Yeah, these ones it almost seems like oh yeah, and, oh shit, what's my character's name again? Jill. Jill doesn't like how this is going, you know. <laughs> yeah. And like Gary was very obviously the uh, villain from scene one he appeared in. Like, I mean, he's waiting inside her vandalized home and acting like nothing's going on. Oh, yeah. And it's it's amazing how uh, Gary and Tiny Tim, Marvelous Mervo, just keep popping up inside of her house at all times. And she's just okay with it. They don't knock. They don't tell her that. Uh, they're coming over they just walk in scare her and then go oh it's just you (laughs) all these weird things have been going around on my house can you help me find them you know (laughs) i've I've also noticed you always running to the barn that's on my property what what's that about oh no don't go in the barn Also, the like the scene of Gary and uh, Jill in the treehouse was like my first clue of like, yeah, there's something not right about this guy. Yeah, because like, wasn't there like kind of like the um subplot of like they semi dated or almost dated yeah. when they were children? It, it sounded then... like they were implying that Jill's dad walked in on them having sex in the treehouse. Oh, okay. Uh, where, because yeah, she mentions that like her dad showed up and she was so embarrassed. And then Gary's like, I thought he was going to kill me. Okay, yeah, that, I mean, that, yeah, that makes sense then. And that also makes sense then why he killed him. <laughs> yeah, and he just seemed very, very like nice guy in Sally in that entire scene. Yeah, I completely agree with that yeah especially like yeah it's that i mean the per the name that kept coming up to me when all this was going on was ted bundy clean cut incel like that completely describes this guy very much so uh he was very much that character i did not like it 
I I really didn't like any of the guys in this movie except for Tiny Tim. Like, how about that uh the trucker at the very beginning who uh, drives her into town. I don't see the God. I just watched this movie. I don't remember the trucker. Oh, he is the redneck uh, who shoots her in the head with a red paintball. Oh, yeah. That's when I'm, yeah, that's it. Where she just, um, I have that in my notes where she just randomly wanders into the woods after she kind of sees somebody. And then she gets shot in the head by rednecks playing paintball and they gets and then says, I was trying to get back to town. And then they drive her to the bank. Is that where they drive her? Yeah. And then the exchange of dialogue after that was just gold where the rednecks like, so how about a quick fuck? Just like, I'm sorry, but I'm engaged. Yeah, I'm engaged. Well, what about a quick fuck? Yeah, that's oh, no. It started with perfect oh, ladies. How, how about how about a date? No, I'm engaged. Okay, then a quick fuck then. Yeah, like let's just cut to the chase here. Then, or will you just have sex with me? No. Okay. Well, thanks for wasting my gas. I'm gonna go back to my redneck friends and chase deer. <laughs> Which that also happened like shortly before the treehouse scene. So I remember at first like thinking, are they trying to imply that Gary is her fiance because they have no chemistry whatsoever? But then she mentions she has a fiance to Gary. It's like, oh, I guess not. But how a movie would logically be structured? Well, I don't know if it was that or like didn't she or she left a fiance where she was coming from like i don't even remember where she said that she was visiting from but is there a fiance back there like that's yeah her thing fiance in this movie. you is... never quite know yeah. it's like you know eventually that scott but it was very poorly written up until his character was formally introduced the only thing you truly know with this movie is that Tiny Tim is going to sing quite a bit, and that's the only redeeming part. <laughs> and, and that his makeup is just basically the same that they eventually had Joaquin Phoenix wear in The New Joker. Oh yeah, it's basically spot on, like, between those two. like, And there are certain scenes in this, I think if it had the right director and the right writer, Tiny Tim could have been a pretty good Joker. Oh, definitely. Or maybe like a TV movie even, you know, nothing like, nothing big, but like a TV movie Joker, Tiny Tim would have been probably pretty great and would have a cult following right now. Oh, I agree a thousand percent. I I think that he would have been an excellent Joker, um, probably on par with Cesar A. Romero. Yeah, I would feel like he would be like kind of the B movie equivalent to him kind of thing. Man, that that really makes me wish that we lived in an alternate universe with Adam West Batman and Tiny Tim Joker. I mean, he was around at that time, so it could have happened if the right casting had happened. So, yeah, or that would have been really um... interesting. Or if, say, we had an early 80s Batman movie, like, before the Tim Burton darkening of the character. Yeah, have, like, one more kind of lighthearted Batman, because I remember uh, the comics pre, I mean, what, Frank Miller, Batman was still pretty happy, you know? Yeah, and uh, you still see some comics of that kind of style today, just not nearly as many. 
like, well, I know, um, was it like, Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith a couple years ago put out a comic series of Batman 66, which, yeah, was, kind of, that was, which was really refreshing to see like a new kind of take kind of on not a, a new old take, I must say. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And honestly, I would love to see a modern Batman film in that style. That would have been interesting. Like I know, um, Burt Ward and Adam West did a couple animated movies, but I haven't seen them yet. Oh, but they did sure. like a couple uh, Batman '66 style animated movies. Like I think one of them's versus the Riddler, and I forget what the other one is, but I still want to see those. Yeah, they are definitely worth a watch. But back to this shitty movie from 1987. Um, oh joy. <laughs> But uh, I, I, I was mean, kind of enjoying going off on a tangent away from this film for a bit. Well, I mean, I don't really have anything else to say about this film. If you just want to, uh, if you have anything else. Um, the one thing that I do have to mention, and again, I'm harping on Jill's character a lot, but probably the biggest criticism I've had about the film, of which there were many, was... <laughs> The entire last, say, 10 minutes of the film, she knows Gary is the killer. She has even put a pickaxe through his arm, which was actually great use of practical effects, I have to add. Like, despite the failings of the the movie from a script writing story standpoint... From a cinematography standpoint, it was great. There were definitely a few really great shots. But what I hated had to be, like, she knows he's the killer. Why does she not kill him? Like, she had so many opportunities and just lets him live. Yeah, it almost reminds me of that Laurie Strode and the first Halloween syndrome, where there's so many times she has the knife and she's standing over him. But then he's laying down, so he must be dead, so she drops the knife. So the movie can continue. <laughs> the problem of the one with Jill, though, is Gary isn't like that. Like, you clearly see him still writhing around and moving, and even, like, about to get up and chase her. Why do you just stop with the pickaxe in the arm and then just like, oh, it's fine. And she's not even running away until he gets fully up. Oh, yeah. I also love that it has that cliche very last scene where after Tiny Tim saves the day and Gary's laying there dead, his eyes, his eyes, it's just like, do, do, do. And it does that like triple like zoom in on his face. They really thought this was going to become a franchise, didn't like, they? Oh, fuck yeah. This is the second Friday the 13th, people. Fuck uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Fuck Halloween. It's blood harvest, man. There's going to be 20 blood harvests. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, Jason Voorhees, uh, forget it. Freddy Krueger, nah. It's all about Gary, insert last name here, the killer. Yeah, Gary is going to be so much bigger than Freddy or Jason. I mean, come on, guys. It's just this coked up, like, guy in a pitch meeting. Like, yeah, come on, guys. It's all about Gary and Tiny Tim. <laughs> I will say I I do have to compliment uh, Gary for one thing, though. He can change clothes fast. Oh, within seconds. Like the one <laughs> scene where um, yo, Merv gets shot, Gary then runs away, and then immediately in like 
30 seconds, comes back, full trench coat, stalking over the head, new pants. How did you go into killer mode that quick? And why why even bother with the face mask? She already knows you're it, dude. Yeah, and it's that super sheer pantyhose where you can even see that he has blonde hair. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean in that the red herring of Merv possibly being the killer just does not work in any stretch of the imagination because Gary has short hair, it's blonde, and he is, again, like you mentioned, at least 50 pounds lighter. Yeah, he's actually in shape. Tiny Tim is a religious, which I did, I completely forgot to bring up. He's a religious clown who went to a mental breakdown. <laughs> like, there's multiple I scenes forgot he's about. Sitting, he's sitting there praying in song. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot about the religious aspect until you just mentioned it. Yeah, and it's really like it's where he. I remember like, well, that's one of the good scenes, at least, where like he's sitting there singing in the church, and the priest comes up to him and whatnot. But yeah, they don't really go very far with. I mean, I don't know if even that might be a part of Tiny Tim saying that like he wants his character to be religious because I know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Tiny Tim was religious himself. So oh, he definitely was. Um, yeah, as we both watched the. recent documentary narrated by weird Al. i mean he flat out mentioned jesus christ is my psychiatrist yeah and even um earlier today i was listening to uh because tiny tim was on uh, how the uh howard stern show quite a bit oh yeah i've i've heard, I listened to quite a number of his uh interviews with howard and even when he like okay tiny tim sitting on howard stern in 1988 rating women it's the times but he's also still going on about well we would have to kind of probably get married first and you know he's still going on so it seems like he was actually a pretty religious person because even on the howard stern show he was talking about it oh yeah and he, he was very puritan in his ways like they they mentioned in the uh, documentary several times about him being girl crazy but then they also got the girls in to talk about him and never once would he like push things to a sexual level or anything he was always a real gentleman about it yeah that's one other thing like oh, go ahead to going ahead and uh bringing up the documentary uh tiny tim king for a day um we both ended up watching it. I thought it was pretty good. I wish they would have gone way more in depth with his career because like yeah. even like Blood Harvest, there was like a quick, I don't know if you caught it. There was like a two second clip of him as Marvelous Mervo, but that was it. They didn't even mention in words about the movie. Yeah, they they briefly mentioned that he was in a movie. They didn't name drop it at all and show in like a little clip. But being the only movie Tiny Tim is in and having it be a Tiny Tim documentary, you think they would have at least spent a little bit, like at least five minutes on it of like, okay, this is what happened. This is how he was approached. Um, There was a lot. It seemed like it skipped over. I would, it could have easily been two and a half hours long. And I think it ended up just being about an hour and 15 yeah, it was an hour and 15 and that was that was probably my major criticism of the documentary. It it was a great documentary. I thought it was really well structured. Um 
but it could have benefited from being another 15 or even half an hour longer. Yeah, just to go a little bit more in depth about his life, and because I even know at the very end, he was kind of playing like bars and like country clubs and just like very like in like uh county fairs like he kind of his the end of his career until the very end when he kind of started being picked back up was kind of he hit a low point there which it would have been interesting to hear about his times through that because he still kept going yeah because i i remember too they they mentioned um you know also his um yeah, you can't mention him without his uh, marriage with uh, Miss Vicky, but they didn't mention his second wife at all, really. Well, that's um, yeah, and well, another thing, real quick, with uh, the Miss Vicky thing, it's amazing to see him go from that was the most watched thing on television up until the moon landing, and then to go to Blood Harvest. I know it, it's such a fall from grace. It, it's kind of sad, really. I think it just came to be because nobody knew really how to market Tiny Tim. He was definitely above uh, before his time. Like I know now, like I feel, and I don't know if this is whatever. This is just me speculating. But if he was around now, and even looking online and whatnot, like tiptoe through the tulips is used all the time like Mm -hmm. i think a lot more people know of tiny tim than actually know that they know of him because they know his songs he he was he was a guy who was simultaneously before his time and ahead of his time because i feel like if he was around during you know the tin pan alley era era where like a lot of those songs came from since uh you know most of what he did were covers of those songs. He would have been, he would have been huge. Likewise, I feel like in today's day and age, he would get a lot better of a following than he did. You know, at least later tiny Tim sixties, tiny Tim did really well for himself. Oh yeah. That was him at the top of his career, like at the top of his game. And we're like being on the tonight show all the time and whatnot. And it kind of continued through the 70s, but he kind of almost became more of a parody. And then people kind of started to forget more and more about him until like now even like having someone like Weird Al uh, narrate your documentary is pretty great because you can definitely tell Weird Al was like really influenced by him. Very much so. I I know that me personally, I've been influenced from the can't talk today i've been influenced by him quite a bit i actually own three ukuleles and first started playing it because of him i say yeah like i put on tiny tim all the time in the car like i'll be driving around with my wife and then i will just randomly put on tiny tim and just do that kind of side glance over to my right at her just to wait for her (laughs) face because she knows his voice now too and she's just be like really and i'm like tip through the window, through the window, past the willow tree, and tiptoe through the tulips with me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I just love that. It just brings a smile to my face. <laughs> yeah, that that was actually one of the first songs I learned to play on ukulele because why wouldn't you? I mean, I can see that being the only reason to start playing ukulele is 
because you're a tiny Tim fan. <laughs> that basically was it. And also because my fingers just do not work well with the fretboard of a guitar. Yeah. Uh, but they actually work really well with the smaller scale of a ukulele, which, uh, yeah, a lot of people say, well, ukulele is just like, you know, an easy version of guitar. Not so. It's it's just different. Well, I mean, I've uh, I mean, going through like YouTube and whatnot, I mean, there's like ukulele covers of like Raining Blood by Slayer and whatnot. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can still do a lot on that little guitar. <laughs> I, I know that uh, that Raining Blood cover uh, you're talking about, uh, the Sarah Longfield one, right? I mean, possibly. I mean, uh, it, it probably is because she's also done Cannibal Corpse covers on yeah. really. Um, it's the one that actually starts in like a uh, ukulele class. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Where um, one lady eats all the cupcakes so she ends up. <laughs> <laughs> dedicating this song about throwing her body in the furnace it's just great but that's also like tiny tim did some great covers throughout the years as well like his uh cover of a uh, my way is great like because i also love sid vicious's cover of my way but yeah. tiny tim's is great as well his uh, cover of rod stewart's do you think i'm sexy oh yeah that's great um he did a cover of highway to hell I it actually like on some kind of punk, that one. like some kind of punk talk show or something because there's like graffiti on the back of the wall or whatnot. But like, yeah, <laughs> I'm looking that up as soon as we are done with this podcast, my dude. I mean, it's actually he does a pretty great job of doing it in his style. <laughs> I, I'd imagine so. that's the one thing I've liked about any of his covers. He makes them his own. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he definitely makes it. As, I completely agree with that. Like, if you're, you can look up anything with Tiny Tim on YouTube. And if it's like, I love the off the wall covers he's done and whatnot. And anytime you listen to him, I'm, it's always just fun. I just, I enjoy Tiny Tim. <laughs> For sure. And uh, he does the one thing that I like a cover song to do. Like, I hate it when somebody covers a song and it sounds almost identical right like um how a weezer covering um what's that africa song uh, africa <laughs> yeah oh is that it oh the yeah, twitter song africa. africa yeah but it sounds almost exactly the same yeah i completely agree like if you're if you're doing a cover you want to hear that artist flare on it exactly like if the instrumental's almost exactly the same and the only real way you can tell it's a cover is oh the person's voice is different that it's not a good cover well it's almost like the psycho remake what was it in 1998 where they shot it scene for scene line for line exactly like the original psycho with vince vaughn and it just does not work Oh man, I, I know the one you're talking about and agree wholeheartedly. Which there's so many times I'll be like scrolling around like TV or whatnot and I'll see Psycho and I'll be like, yes, fucking A, I'm going to watch Psycho. I love Psycho. And then you click and you see Vince Vaughn and you're like, fuck. Not this one. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Every time too, because it seems like that's the one that they play on TV so much more. 
and it's not even like they did like the thing back then where like in the late 90s early 2000s where it was like psycho x (laughs) no it's just psycho yeah it it lulls you into this false sense of security that you're going to get blah i seriously cannot talk tonight that you're uh just getting to see this classic film that you love and lol nope then there's fucking wedding crashers sitting there i i don't like vince vaughn as an actor either nah i mean i can't really think of anything i enjoy him in no i can think of stuff i didn't like with him i mean wedding crashers was pretty good but it's not like he stood out in the movie you know no and honestly i i felt wedding crashers was forgettable at best yeah there's a couple good scenes like will ferrell's still pretty good in that because it's not before he went like mainstream will ferrell where now he's just boring and all he does is scream and uh blue was pretty good in that i like the old guy that played blue but yeah he, he wasn't in it much but yeah it's definitely one of those films that uh and it's the problem with comedy you either remember really good or really bad comedy and sometimes middle of the road comedy can be even worse than a terrible one and that's kind of my opinion on wedding crashers it was just largely forgettable for me i i completely was just talking about old school while we were talking about wedding crashers i just <laughs> i just remembered that blue and whatnot is in old school so yeah, yeah wedding crashers that's how like, forgettable wedding crashers is is i started thinking about old school instead <laughs> That that alone will tell you, yeah. Uh, I, cannot believe, I cannot remember anything about Wedding Crashers. Was the guy who played Blue even in that? I don't think, no, he was only in old school. Because <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, like, when you mentioned it, I'm like, okay, Blue was definitely old school, but maybe the actor was in there and I just completely forgot this. <laughs> Because if nope. was Will Ferrell at least in Wedding Crashers? He was the guy that picked up uh, girls at the funerals, right? Right. Yeah, okay. So at least I'm not completely dumb. I should just stick to 80s horror because that's what I know. <laughs> or wait, actually, now that I think about it, was it? Let me, let me look that up. I think that. Will Ferrell was the guy that uh, picked up girls at yeah, the he Yeah, he was rightfully uncredited in that movie. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, he played Chaz Reinhold, and it's noted here on IMDb that he went uncredited. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it was an Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn project. One thing is, I I just watched uh, Blood Harvest twice within 24 hours. I would not do that with Wedding Crashers. (laughs) I, I will say that I'm still amused by the fact that you had the audacity to watch this twice in a row but the only reason is because last night i started watching it at about 1 2 in the morning and i also had already had a few drinks so i might not have finished the movie and with how forgettable the film is i mean you kind of have to be sober to watch it otherwise you are definitely forgetting it but that's another thing is like, okay, you'll be sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm like, when I start right before we started the podcast, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead. I remember at least the first like half hour of the movie. I'm going to skip to there. And then you start watching it. 
and it's so boring and you start looking at your fridge and you're like, there's old Germans in there. And then you're like, I could just go get one. And then five old Germans later, you're like, okay, let's start recording. (laughs) (laughs) I got this. I got blood harvest down. (laughs) That sounds basically like my entire run of whenever my YouTube channel was reading terrible Sonic fan fiction. Oh, nice. It was just, I would have to be inebriated at some point to actually read it. There's just some things that you cannot watch or listen to unless you at least have a few beers or substances, you know? Oh, totally. I probably went through a good fifth of whiskey a week (laughs) during that time. So uh, despite the fact that it killed my YouTube channel by me not doing that anymore, and I kind of deleted them because I wasn't really happy with the quality of the videos, it's probably much better for my health that I'm not doing them anymore. But come on, man. You got to review those videos on YouTube. What are you doing? (laughs) I mean, I'm still, (laughs) the YouTube channel is definitely still alive. I'm just not doing Sonic fanfics anymore. God, no. Yeah, it's not quite worth it. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, uh, any last thoughts on uh, Tiny Tim or uh, Blood Harvest? Uh, Tiny Tim was great. Blood Harvest was terrible in spite of his best, best efforts. That's yeah, my agree. Um, Tiny Tim is a legend. I feel like, I mean, for how his character is and whatnot and how out there he is, I feel like the time he came th- up through, he did pretty well, but he could have done a lot better if he had waited like another, I mean, if he could have transfer, uh, transported like 20 years in the future with everything, he probably would have done a little better, but yeah. he probably has a cult following. And that's the only reason I watch blood harvest is because of tiny Tim. And he's the only redeeming part of the movie. So, <laughs> Oh, for sure. I would not have jumped onto this podcast uh, for this episode. If it weren't for it being a tiny Tim movie, that's what got me to watch it. I mean, just to close it out, would you mind doing a little bit more impersonating of tiny Tim? Just, uh, you know, cheers the legend and we can go out on that. Um, sure. Uh, any requests? Um, no, whatever you want to do. Okay. Um, let's see. What, what would be a good one to close it out? I I'm thinking of, uh, I'm so happy. Happy go lucky me. I just go my way. Living every day. I don't worry, worrying don't agree, things that bother you never bother me. (laughs) That's great, man. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for being on this episode, man. Uh, No problem. And also, fun fact, that song probably is more well known by my generation for being in the first ever episode of SpongeBob SquarePants than anything else. I was going to say, yeah, we, it's a complete tiny Tim episode. We didn't mention SpongeBob once, but that's where I probably heard him for, for the very first time. <laughs> Haven't got a lot. I don't need a lot. Coffee's only a dime. Oh, living in the sunlight, loving in the moonlight, having a wonderful time. All right. Have a good one, guys.
Peace.